I'm Greg. And I'm Matt. And you're listening to The Distortion Dads. Yes, welcome to Distortion Dads. Uh, the podcast where the love of heavy music and process of passing it on to a new generation collide. Yeah, welcome to the inaugural Maiden Voyage, uh, Virgin Flight, debut album, opening band, first mosh pit episode of Distortion Dads. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy hearing what this podcast will be all about. So, you know, what's this all about, right? Um, I'm a dad. I have a eight-year-old daughter now, and uh, Greg is also a dad, right, Greg? Yes, uh, I got a two-year-old daughter, and uh, her form of dancing is headbanging, so I'm raising her right. Nice. Good form of exercise there. <laughs> Work on the neck muscles. And certainly useful in the world of, of hard rock and metal. So, yeah, we uh, we are also big-time listeners to heavy metal music. It's been part of our life for a greater part of 20-plus years, we'll say now. And, uh, almost come a 30. Long way. Yeah, almost 30. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we like listening to the heavy music. Uh, we want to pass it on and, and ex- at least expose our, our children to to the heavy metal side right there's a f- it doesn't get a lot of radio play right, right. Yeah, face it exactly so we thought uh that we would like to put a podcast together about this right <laughs> yep i mean it's it's one of those things where we love this kind of music we want to we want to talk about it but we don't want to use the same commentary that all those other podcasts and shows use we wanted to be slightly different. We wanted to incorporate you, incorporate our families. Basically, whatever whatever we can do to, to, to pass the whole thought of, of metal and, you know, all its brilliance. So we don't want to do the whole metal rules commentary. Obviously, there's going to be plenty from us as far as nostalgia and things of that nature. But we're going to leave the reviews and all that stuff about metal and things like that to the experts. We are not experts by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Yeah. We thought it'd be interesting to uh, kind of share the experience of, uh, of exposing our, our daughters to, to particular metal songs, right? Things that we grew up loving, maybe not necessarily at their age. Right. But (laughs) um, it's interesting to, to see their, their reactions. Right. Some of them they don't like. Some of them they do like. Some of them they start headbanging to, right? <laughs> yep. So we'd like to share that. I think others might be interested in, in that sort of a adventure, that sort of a journey. Um, so, yeah, come along with us if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Reach out to us. Uh, we will have an Instagram at Distortion Dads. Our email, distortiondads at gmail.com. And what else do we have for as far as social media? That's about it That's right it. now. Yep. Keeping it simple. We're all about minimalization. (laughs) (laughs) So if we're going to add a bit more background into the thought process behind creating this podcast, you know, first and foremost, we're fans of heavy music. Yep. We've been for decades now and we've grown up with it in our lives. 
and in some regard shaped us, of course, and is still a regular part of our lives as we transition into another phase of our life, raising children. But Greg, are we trained psychologists and psychiatrists in developmental growth of, of young beings? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do we want to give advice on how to raise a child? No. No. Have we found it interesting how heavy music still influences our daily lives? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And do we also want to share heavy music with our spouses and children and uh, want to explore that relationship more while documenting it in podcast form? Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. So that's where Distortion Dads came from. Our vision of this podcast as of the first episode, right? Of course, this is going to grow with us uh, as we do more uh, more episodes. So heavy music in our individual lives, heavy music in our personal relationships. Um, what is it about heavy music that attracts us? We want to start this first episode sharing why we like heavy music. And then we'll go into, um, because it's the first episode of Distortion Dads, you're getting to know a little bit more about us, who we are as people and parents, and, and certainly who we are as listeners uh, in the heavy metal genre. We're going to go over our top 10 influential albums um, that solidified our love for it, right? Everything that influenced us, you're going to hear about, and you're going to come along for the journey. We're we're going to look at albums that were stepping stones to delve deeper into the heavy metal genre, and we hope you're excited because we are to share it with you. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun to go over with a little trip down memory lane, digging back into the memory box of those albums that really... Uh, opened your mind right like wow i i really enjoy this sound this is very new to me and open the doors to other stuff right and then later on in the podcast we're also going to do a special segment about subgenres in metal because there seems to be way too many of them we have developed <laughs> a wheel that has different subgenres on it and uh we'll go into it into it in greater detail later but as of right now, be prepared for that later on in the podcast. The Wheel of Subgenres. Why do we like heavy music? Why do we like heavy music? Why? Why does it appeal to you? Why do you like you? that crap? Right. You know, <laughs> our parents back when we were kids used to tell us, you know, oh, turn that stuff down. And uh, so why why do we continue to listen to it? Why do we, uh, or why did we start listening to it? And why is it a major part of our lives? And Matt, I'll let you go ahead and go first. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Our, our podcast is, is called Distortion Dads. And for me, it starts with the word distortion. There's There's just something about a distorted guitar to me. And while I feel like it is hard to put into words, the response you get when you're listening to a distorted guitar or heavy metal song or hard rock song with, with everything going on, it's some combination of adrenaline, goosebumps, energy, and a strong desire to either headbang or, or air guitar, right? Maybe not those last two, but certainly the, the adrenaline and the energy and just the attraction to that sound when a when a metal song is put all together you know you can think back to a song that you just every time you listen to it you get that same feeling oh right? yeah the crunchy distorted guitar riffs you know the double bass drums maybe even a blast beat here or there um vocals whether it be clean or dirty right and um it's very unique to heavy metal of course the intricacy of playing 
the technicality of, of the playing, um, all of it put together is just a recipe for success uh, in, in my mind. So, uh, like Matt said, you know, it's really hard to put into words. Uh, metal has this gives you gives me this feeling. Obviously, there's the goosebumps stuff like that, uh, but it's one of the few so, or a few genres of music that gives me uh, chills every time I listen to it. The only other one I could say is probably classical, just because it has the feeling and mm-hmm. you know all of that, the power and the emotion. I believe that uh, metal is one of those few genres where people write their own music. Number one. And, you know, they put their heart and soul into not only the music, but the album and trying to put together the best product possible. Mm. I probably didn't appreciate it as much when I was younger as I do now, but it's definitely uh, one of those things that keeps me there. But, you know, to be honest, when I was a kid, I was picked on a lot. I'm not looking for sympathy, but uh, I needed an outlet for the for the anger that I had. I wasn't the angriest kid, but I needed I needed something. And uh, I found it in metal music, uh, whether it was Corn or Black Sabbath or the the chuggy riffs, the um, the distorted guitars, the drums, the heavy bass. You know, it was it was the perfect mix mm-hmm. for uh, that emotion. And then, you know, later on in my teenage years, when I started doing playing football and you know, went into the army, nothing gets you pumped up more than listening to some metal. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I <do>. mean, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and nothing gets you uh craze kind of like coming out to, you know, welcome to the jungle. It also helps me with, uh, you know, keeps me calm. I'm a very calm individual <laughs> and a lot of it I owe to metal. It's, it's just amazing. I, I can't think of a better, a better genre of music uh, that gives you so many different personalities, so many different emotions, all wrapped up into one song. You know what I mean? So clearly, uh, heavy music has had an impact on, on both of us, right? Uh, I'm sure many of you listening can, can relate to that. And um, we'd love to hear uh, what got you into heavy metal? Right. What got you into hard rock? Um, we're talking anything with distorted guitars here, basically. But yeah, send us send us a note, um, send us a, a comment on Instagram. We'd love to hear from that. I'm sure everyone has these stories of what was their entry into the hard rock and heavy metal genres. And if you know, if we want to share your story, uh, or you'll allow us to share your story, we'll put it on the podcast and uh, give it the old read and see what happens uh we want to share as much as possible and you can't base everything upon our two our our experiences between me and matt we want to bring our listeners into it that way there's a range of storytelling so absolutely and we're not talking just about the other distortion dads out there (laughs) distortion moms we know you're out there too (laughs) you have the same stories we do we'd love to hear from everyone we'd love to share it you know, how do you how do you introduce your children to, to metal? What do you remember from your formative years about getting into this genre? Right. Did, did someone share uh, uh, music with you? Did you did you hear it somewhere else? Um, did you just explore yourself or do you not share the uh, the music of your youth with your kids? You know, maybe it's a little too aggressive. Maybe it's a little too uh, standoffish. But we would like to hear from you, definitely, uh, on your stories. And uh, tell us what you play for your kids. Is it today's music? Is it thrash from the 80s? Is it death metal, black metal? Mm-hmm. Any of the subgenres, you tell us and we'll, uh, 
you know, we'll enjoy every minute of it. Top 10 Influential Albums. So with with that, I think it's it's most appropriate to start going into our influential albums. What, what do you think? No, I think that's a great idea. Get right into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, and you know how we got into this into this genre. What were the uh, the stepping stones? The way I look at it is, um, there were some surprises on these lists. Matt and I have known each other for a long, long time, and uh, when we came up with these lists, you know, there were a couple of, uh, a couple of albums on there that were like, oh yeah, we definitely expected that from you. Mm-hmm. But uh, then there's a couple you're like, wow, okay, I, I I didn't get that one. All right, we'll we'll have to check that out. So, yeah. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and uh, start in our our influences. Number one. So my first influence, oh, we're going to go into this chronologically. So we're not going to do, you know, it's not a top 10 list. It's just 10 albums that we felt were most influential on us. We also, when it comes to um, metal and hard rock and things like that, there, there's a couple of uh, boundary pushing bands or albums on here that people kind of have some maybe have some issue with or maybe be like oh yeah yeah i love that but remember it's our top 10 list and if you want to sh- uh, share your top 10 with us please by all means let us know so my first influential album is america's least wanted by ugly kid joe um this one probably comes as a surprise because they're not really a metal band but they're hard rock they had that one song everything about you that everybody loved but what it was is, as I was growing up in the 80s during the glam and thrash scenes, you know, I, I heard all the big songs by Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and Metallica and Megadeth. You know, I had a cousin named Steven. He would, if we were doing influential individuals, he is probably the most influential person on me as far as metal is concerned. Uh, the reason why that is, is he had a library of hard rock and heavy metal albums that you know, would like make everybody, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was, it was amazing. Yeah, there you go. He also had uh, pictures all over his wall. So you walk into a room and you see all these granted there, the posters, you see all these guys on his wall who these big hair and playing guitar and soloing and all sweaty and stuff like that. It, It was amazing. You know, as a little kid, you're just like, wow, these guys are God's whole, um, but anyway, you know, like I said, I heard all the uh, all the big singles from all the big bands. I never really listened to um, an album per se until my cousin gave me America's Least Wanted. Uh, so he had kind of a you know um, uh, a little side note here. He had uh, the two of one CD or VHS for uh, Metallica's one video. Mm-hmm. And which had both uh, videos on it and just played the song as well. And I wanted it. I wanted to listen to it. I wanted to watch it. I love it's my favorite song, if you can't tell. But anyway, so I wanted that VHS. And uh, he looked at me. He goes, where are you going to watch that? Your parents are going to let you watch that on the, VA, uh, the VCR in the living room. And at that at that time, you know, this is 1993. I'm 11 years old. And I'm like, oh, you got a point. Uh, so he goes here, let me start you off with this album and, uh, you let me know what, how it is. And, you know, it was a little cassette tape for those of us that remember cassettes before CDs, uh, 
you could put it in and you know rewind it with a pencil and do all that sort of stuff but um so i put it in there and i played it on my mom's stereo in the kitchen and uh the living room was attached to it and uh i had to keep it very very low just so i pressed my ear to the speaker to listen to it and i liked what i heard i thought it was cool you know uh up to this point you know i hadn't listened to an entire album it was just like i said songs or individual songs mm-hmm. and uh once I was able to listen to the whole thing in its entirety at full volume, stuff like that, you know, I was probably on a snow day or something from school and turned it up and I was, I was just blown away. That's what gave me the whole, uh, playing air guitar, things like that. I would put on little rock concerts in my living room to (laughs) fans of nobody. It was amazing. Uh, But yeah, um, America's least wanted by good kid Joe. That was, that was the thing that, propelled me into heavy music nice what year was that released that was released i believe in 19 it was either 91 or 92 nice yeah ugly kid joe i i I certainly remember that song everything about you everything about you (laughs) yeah you so it, it we also to go along with these uh these lists we also have a spotify playlist and we put on our favorite songs from each album Um, the ones that got us hooked, right. You know, and, uh, obviously everything about you. So if, if you haven't heard this song yet, you've been living under a rock number one, (laughs) uh, or you're too young and you need to go back and listen to it because it, it's the simplest, amazing song you'll ever hear. And then they also do a great rendition of cats in the cradle back then the experts hated it. But as a young fan, just getting into metal, I was, I, I loved it. And then, uh, obviously there's, uh, a song called Goddamn Devil, which is one of those songs where basically you sell your soul to Satan and create a metal band to spread his word, which isn't how metal works at all. So. <laughs> but yeah, this this album is amazing. Please go and listen to it. Uh, if you don't buy it, just play it on our Spotify and go from there. Yeah, one one interesting fact right now, I'm, I'm looking up Ugly Kid Joe, their, their band page on Spotify, and... Everything About You has over 33 million plays at the time of this recording. High rollers. And Cats in the Cradle has about 2x that, actually. <laughs> over 65 million plays, believe it or not. It is wow. an amazing cover. That's very surprising to me. Awesome. Good for them. Right. I'm not a big cover fan. I'm sure we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode, but not that I don't like all covers, but I'm willing to give this one a chance. So I'll I'll give that one a a listen uh, from our Spotify playlist. So I'll get into my first one as well. And it's another one that's not necessarily a a metal band, right? In fact, it's not a metal band, uh, grunge. Mm. And so um, I was born in 1982 and uh, grunge was pretty heavy. Back in my just preteen years and early teen years. And this particular album came out in 91. Uh, Many of our listeners are big fans. I'm guessing it's the Nevermind album by Nirvana. Pre this album, basically listen to all radio play stuff, Mm. right? A lot of classic rock, I guess. My parents are big classic rock fans. Queen, Van Halen, whatnot. But... Um, When I heard this sound by Nirvana and the Nevermind album, specifically in Bloom, um, first of all, the the intro riff, you know, 
and then David Grohl's drums. Um, I just loved that sound. Wow. And, and what a sound came from, from three guys. Right. And, uh, and the mixing, of course, that sounded fantastic, but, and even on those, uh, mini, mini headphones that you'd get with the Walkmans, you know, that were basically a piece of foam that sat over, (laughs) over your ears. Oh, I miss those days. Right. So, uh, and I would, I would take that with me everywhere. I remember going to plenty of my sister played, uh, Played soccer, and I remember going to plenty of games and just just sitting at the game watching watching her play, but just having that on full blast in my ears, going right. through the different songs. You know, smells like Teen Spirit, of course, uh, Lithium, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't '91 where I was actually listening to that. It was probably more in '94, we'll say, maybe '95. So I was about 12, 12 or 13 at the time. Right. And that opened me up to the sound, something very different that I had I heard before. Radio stuff, looking classic rock and uh, oldies, of course, lots of oldies and 80s at the time. So that's a, a totally different sound from Nirvana. But I knew I needed to hear more. And so, gosh, that opened me up to, to trying to explore other music mm-hmm. right that that sounded like that but at the time yeah it's, it's it was not as, as as accessible right where were you gonna find i guess what i ended up doing and you probably did something very similar is you'd go to the fye oh yeah and they had those headphones that you could put on oh yeah and right scan the scan the disc or the cassette yeah exactly and listen to snippets of the song and yeah yeah, no, it was great. Like it was uh, iTunes before digital media came out, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, as far as Nevermind goes, you know that's w- one of my favorite albums of all time, and I love the fact that you put that on there. Just because nowadays grunge is considered metal or a uh, a distant subgenre yeah. of metal, and um, what's great about it is the fact that. So I told you about my cousin, Steven, who was all about the glam and thrash scenes and stuff like that. Well, he hated Nirvana because grunge killed metal, apparently, (laughs) at that time. This was after the Black Album and stuff like that. And grunge came out and destroyed everything. There was Nevermind. There was Ten. There was Bad Motorfinger. There was Dirt by Alice in Chains. Uh, Yeah, such great music came out of that time period. And that was the introduction to you. You know what I mean? So... I I applaud you on that one. Number two. All right, so number two for me, it goes way back in history. It's one of the initial metal albums out there, but Black Sabbath's Paranoid is the number two for me. The reason why this is on here is because at this time I was listening to rap and popular music and stuff like that. I had kind of, because I hadn't found what I was looking for with rock and metal, you know, I was, I guess you could say I was sheltered as a kid, but my brother is five years older than me, four or five years, somewhere around in there. So he had a bunch of CDs and I would always, he had a CD player. I had a little Walkman that isn't conducive to CDs. So I would go into his room when he was at work or at school and I would play his CDs and crank it up as loud as I could get. And, uh, most of the time I would go in there for the, the, the rap CDs that he had. He had Coolio, he had Wu-Tang Clan, he had Beastie Boys, and at that time, I loved it. Then I found Paranoid, and I was like, what is this? 
And, uh, you know, obviously I had heard of them through my cousin Steven, but at that time, or by that time, I thought Ozzy was his own thing. I didn't realize he was a part of Black Sabbath. And this is 1994 we're talking about here. So, you know, I was 12. So I didn't connect the dots until much later in life as far as, you know, metal history and whatnot. So I went in there, I put it on, and then the opening to War Pigs was the first song, uh, Luke's Wall, War Pigs. And it was just amazing it was simple it was heavy i didn't know what to think and uh you know i thought while i was playing these songs that i was tony omi and i was singing along i was a combination of tony omi and ozzy man war pigs and paranoid electric funeral was great this album was uh incredible to me as it really is in history it's one of those albums that stuck with me and Paranoid came out in 1969, I do believe. It was either 69 or 70. So, you know, it was 20, it was, by now it's, uh, you know, over 50 years old. So that's incredible. And it still stands the test of time. It's one of those albums that is just, it's incredible. It's literally one of the greatest albums of all time. And... Uh, there are very few metal fans that have not listened to this album. Yeah, absolutely. Again, checking Spotify, top three songs for Black Sabbath were from that album. Not surprised. Paranoid, almost 456 million plays. <sighs> Iron Man next, 267 million. Wow. And War Pigs after that in third. So yeah, stood the test of time. Fantastic album. I agree. Great choice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So while that album is very well known in the metal genre, right, my second album is basically unknown. <laughs> <laughs> the band is called Six Feet Deep. And yes, you, you heard that correctly. Six Feet Deep. Not Six Feet Under. Not Six Feet Under. And the album is called Struggle from 1994. And the reason behind this... Um, I grew up in, in a Christian family, and we would go to a, a bookstore that also had, had, uh, had music there. Mm -hmm. And similar to the FYE, you could go in and, and listen to all the different music. Right. And, of course, they had all the typical Christian stuff there, right? Um, after Nirvana's Nevermind, though, I'm, I was looking around, seeing what they had to offer. Um, one tidbit I should have said on the on the Nirvana Nevermind album was at one point I was I was listening to that album so loud in the car, and so those of you that remember uh, you know uh, Walkmans and the headphones, if you were listening to that really loud, everybody else was listening to that really <laughs> loud, except for they didn't know what you were listening to; they thought you were listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was probably like territorial pissings or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, I was listening to it so loud, and um, my parents pulled the car over, and they said, are you listening to Metallica? And uh, while I was not listening to Metallica, I understood that they wouldn't like what I was listening to either way, mm -hmm. right? And so, okay... While I was in this Christian Christian bookstore, Christian music store, I'm looking for something that's that's the same sort of music, but has maybe has not wholesome lyrics, but it doesn't have the the song content that they would not like. So that was my my train of thought back then. Just just how it goes. 
And so I came across this one album. Um, if you look, take a look on online, look at the the album cover. It was definitely not reminiscent of other Christian albums in the whole store. And so it, it caught my eye and I started playing it and immediately loved the first song. Um, let's see the first song on that. Yeah, the first song is called Angry Sun. I loved it and uh, continued to listen to, to more of the album. Uh, the third song is called Struggle and it's it's hardcore. It's it's a hardcore style music, a little bit different and harder, uh, more in the heavy metal genre than Nirvana was, of course, in the grunge scene. But um, this band, the the riffs, definitely the riffs, and I I got sucked in because of that, and uh, I bought the album, and, and that was then my uh, album that I played all the time. And if my parents came up and said, "What are you listening to?" You know, I could say, "I'm listening to Six Feet Deep." Here you go. Look at what. <laughs> While that never happened, I'm totally happy with uh, finding that album. And the band uh, disbanded very soon after that. They they released one other album after it. I didn't get into that album as as heavy as I did this particular one, but really awesome exposed me to the hardcore genre right and uh and then i knew i needed more nice so i didn't hear about this band until matt brought it up when we were going over our influential albums and uh so after i heard about it i I was like i have to go take a listen so immediately after we got done doing our teleconference i went and listened to it and you know i was blown away it was one of those albums like i'm not a huge hardcore fan but this was, you could get into this. You could understand the lyrics. It wasn't violent and hateful as some of the hardcore scene was back mm-hmm. then. And it was a great album. Granted, I had to do a little bit of searching and a little bit of uh, figuring out that the songs were wrong on Spotify. But yeah, Spotify, if anyone of your representatives are listening to this <laughs> podcast, you might they are fix not that. in correct order. So <laughs> um, go to YouTube or something else and, and you'll definitely find the track that you're that you're wanting to find. Um, yeah, he, thanks for going and, and checking that out afterwards because, yeah, it's they're not very explicit in there that they're religious and talking like that. If anything, they're, they're positive lyrics in, in general, right, about overcoming challenges and setbacks in life. And, yeah, even to this day, I enjoy listening to them because it's it's the, the heavy metal sound. But then it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's a, Uplifting a positive, vocals, yeah. uh, lyrics, and things like that. <laughs> you don't get that a lot, that combination. So uh, Right. Not all metal is downtrodden and angry. Number three. So, number three on my list is Ride the Lightning by Metallica. Now, there's a funny little story about this one. So, in 1996, I turned 14 years old. I thought I was a cool uh, teenager, you know. I didn't want to go hang out with my mom anymore when she went to go get her nails done and groceries and stuff like that. So, she said, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, oh, a CD. And she's like, okay, what kind of CD? So, uh, I explained to her, you know, I'll take uh, anything by Guns N' Roses or anything by ACDC. Because I figured it'd be easy for her to find, mm-hmm. and I knew that I was going to like it. I'm a firm believer in knowing what I like and going from there. Mm-hmm. So by this point, I had already been exposed to Metallica. So she came back with this bag 
that had a CD in it, and I figured it was one of those original two, uh, you know, ACDs here, Guns N' Roses. And she came by a little bit later because I hadn't opened it, and she's like, are you going to look at the CD? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I opened it, and my eyes lit up, and I was like, um, what is this? And <laughs> I'm sure I had heard the, the Ride the Lightning album from my cousin Steven, but it felt like the first time, honestly. By that point, I'd already liked, uh, you know, Injustice for All and the Black Album, a little bit of Enter Sandman and stuff like that. So when I put the CD on, the songs that were on that album are nothing short of amazing. Granted, it's not my favorite Metallica album. That belongs to Injustice for All. But it holds a it holds a small place in my heart or holds a big place in my heart uh, because you know my mom bought that for me for my birthday and little did she know that she she was the like the turning point for my life when it came to metal like after that it was all metal all the time um, I needed to you know I worked part time job or I worked at a farm really but uh, you know any money that I would collect I would go and buy albums and. Um, so basically, that album propelled me into the Panteras of the world. This album is great. Ride the Lightning, as a teenager listening to uh, the lyrics for this, the a guy is put into an electric chair, and you know he's contemplating, like, why am I here? I'm innocent. You know, I didn't do this. Yeah. And this was some of the greatest lyrics that James Hetfield ever came up with. Not saying just the song Ride the Lightning, but the entire album. Then, obviously, Creeping Death is a Bible reference of uh, the seven deadly plagues and this, that, and the other thing. But, yeah, that it, it's such a cool song as far as Creeping Death goes. Um, Call of Cthulhu. Like, at this point, I had never heard a good instrumental. Oh, yeah. But the Call of Cthulhu was that one. Like, if you want to talk about a range of emotions for an entire song, it is this one. I think it's better than Orion. And I'm going to say this for probably every single album, but if you haven't heard this album, you need to get out from underneath your rock and go find it. So yeah, the reason why the ride to lightning is more influential than my favorite album and justice for all is because if it wasn't for ride the lightning, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. Hmm. Ride the lightning is, you know, that, that's that stepping stone that I needed. Yeah. Awesome. It, it really is a good album. Um, Ride the Lightning, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black, right in a row, just hammered with awesomeness right, right. there. And then ending with Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, fantastic instrumental, I, I agree. Um, and even the what's considered the worst song on there, Escape, is a damn good song. Like, it's they recorded in, I don't know exactly how long, but it took them like a couple days, if not a day, to record it. And the band seems to hate it. But I like that little poppy chorus that it has to it. It adds dimension to that song and to that <laughs> album. And, yeah, the whole album is phenomenal. It's one of those ones you can listen to start to finish and just be blown away every single time. Nice, yeah, yeah. So you alluded to all all metal or, or nothing, right? Right. And uh, this next album wasn't necessarily that for me, but at least exposed me to a little bit of uh, the heavier scene and uh, certainly as far as vocals go lyrics a little more edgy lyrics for sure certainly when we're comparing it to number two on my list (laughs) so this album released in 95 I uh, was in middle school and 
on uh, the school basketball team, probably modified, something like that. And uh, we were going to a an away game, and uh, we're on the bus and got talking about music with some of the other players. And one of the guys brings out this album and says, you know, hey, you got to check this out and let mm-hmm. me borrow it. And the album was Nola by Down. And uh, fantastic album, come to find out. A very wide range of, of music when it comes to metal. Um, starting with Temptation's Wings, the opener to the album, a uh, fantastic track. And then it has a little bit of touch of, we'll say, stoner, stoner metal <laughs> with, with Stone the Crow. Uh, but the song that I really kept playing over and over and over was a song called Losing All. Mm-hmm. And the the sound effects, the um, so Phil Anselmo is is the vocalist of of Down, and uh, while I didn't get into uh, Pantera at the time, just wasn't exposed to them. This was my first first experience with Phil Anselmo and Pepper Keenan, yep, and just a fantastic duo. And I loved the musicianship of that song, Temptations Wings. Bury Me in Smoke, Lifer, just a lot of good tracks there and really got into the heavy, the heavier side of, of metal. And I knew I enjoyed that. That one stuck with me down Nola uh, from 95 and uh, in middle school. So, so my exposure to that album was probably a few years later. I was exposed to Pantera first and then, then down. But when I was in the military, I down in Alabama I saw down and it was right after they put out down too and yep. I was like wow this is incredible back then Phil and Selma still had the range yeah you know it wasn't just hi I'm Phil and Selma he actually could sing high and stuff like that but there was such an eclectic collection of music on on the both of those albums I guess that's what happens when you put all of you know like a super group like that together number four So number four on my list is uh, Segway from Phil Anselmo is the first ever CD that I bought. And that was Cowboys from Hell by Pantera. Again, Matt and I have talked about FYE and the fact that you can go in there and just sample music before you buy it. You know, the, the best part about that was I went in and I was like, all right, so what is the CD that I'm going to buy? And I went in there and, you know, I found Pantera and I'm like, oh, this is such a cool cover. You know, you have four guys in a bar, you know, just rocking out. And uh, it it was pretty cool. And I'm like, OK, Cowboys from Hell, like this is probably going to be like uh, Skid Row or something like that. So I put it in and the first thing it played was the intro to Cowboys from Hell and talk about a unique guitar sound. Dimebag Daryl, dude, I'll tell you, uh, if if there was anybody who could write a hook that's it that's the intro right there uh if there was anybody who could write a hook in every single riff he wrote it was definitely die back daryl and uh he he had me hook line and sinker with that first riff but you think about it you have cowboys from hell you have primal concrete sledge you have psycho holiday you know you have so like the range of phil and selmo's vocals was mm-hmm. amazing you know he'd hit the highs he'd do the growling lows you have cemetery gates um oh my gosh such a great song yeah uh speaking of highs right exactly wow. 
throughout my entire life when I was a kid, or even when I was a kid, I could never hit those highs. Granted, my voice is kind of low right now, but there was no way I could hit those. But, you know, just songs like uh, Medicine Man, Message in Blood and The Sleep, you know, you're talking, oh, The Art of Shredding. It doesn't get much better than that. It's uh, Dimebag Daryl on full display. And so let's say that Ride the Lightning was the one that turned me into a metalhead. Well, Cowboys from Hell just propelled me even further. I would buy all the things that were, you know, old school metal. It got me into Judas Priest. It got me into Iron Maiden. It got me into, you know, obviously I was already into Megadeth and things of that nature. But I wanted to hear shredding. I wanted to hear guitarists that just, you know, you know, that's not shredding, but still. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely a fantastic album. I think at one point in my life, I was listening to Cemetery Gates almost daily because it's just such a fantastic song. It really shows the depth. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It just started the acoustic guitar, just the the song nature, how Phil sings. Oh, um, yeah. And then you just get into those highs, <laughs> both of them, Phil yeah. and Selma on vocals and uh, Dimebag Daryl on guitar, of course, and you're just like, wow, are they going to keep going higher and higher and higher? <laughs> They're trying to outdo each other yeah. every single time. And songs like Primal Concrete Sledge and, you know, Heresy and Domination, you know, nothing psychs you up more for a football game than those three mm-hmm. songs right there. Mm-hmm. While everybody else is, you know, listening to uh, Top 40 or whatever they were listening to, you know, I'm sitting there rocking out to Pantera, and they're just like, what is this? Oh, you're not going to like it. Don't worry. So... <laughs> Your number four, Matthew? Yeah, my, my number four is a compilation album. And uh, Greg and I were kind of going back and forth on whether we wanted to include compilation albums. But this one was very, very particular to me. So at this stage of my life, this album was released in 1996. So I was about 14 or so. And at that time, I... I was into BMX and uh, and skateboarding, and I think the X Games were relatively new. In fact, this was the first album, first compilation album, Volume 1, X Games, Music from the Edge. A real fantastic collection of songs that exposed me to a lot of different types of music. And so I'll just read off a handful of ones that are applicable to this podcast um, second song is Guilty by Gravity Kills. What would we say? That's more of an industrial yeah. sort of metal. I, I loved that. Uh, I still love um, running, jogging to, to that tune. It's such a high, te- a high tempo and, you know, just kept you going the entire time. Yeah, it gets you, it gets the adrenaline going. It gets me, gets me up those hills. <laughs> um, so the Jerry Rizzo race car driver, Primus, um, just just the odd nature uh, of that song, the the singing, of course, <laughs> right? But uh, I, I got more into into Primus and understanding them as a band from from this album. Um, you have Ratamahata hmm. by Sepultura, and I was like, "What are they saying?" But wow, this is this is awesome. This is totally different than what I'm used to. You have Blind by Corn, and that was the biggest the biggest influence on me. That was my first introduction to corn, right? Who is this band? They're named corn. Oh, it's with a K. And you were talking a lot about Megadeth. I had not been exposed to, to Megadeth at that time and go figure the first exposure <laughs> to Megadeth is a cover song right. of paranoid. 
Um, but it was a good cover. They're they're a great cover band, really. I really enjoyed that <laughs> version of Paranoid. Uh, once I found out it was an actual cover, but uh, and then it ends with "Epic by Faith No More," and so a really wide variety. Of course, there's plenty of other tunes on here that are not in the distortion dad's genre, right. but uh, a real eclectic mix of hard rock. Uh, and various levels of of metal, and really exposed me to a lot of different types of bands, new bands. And at that point, that's all I, w- I was hungry for. Right. Just give me something new. And and the compilation albums where they have a mix of of all different uh, types of bands was was a great thing at the time. You know, maybe uh, later on in this podcast's life, we'll go ahead and talk about the changes in soundtracks and compilation albums and stuff like that, because I feel that there's a huge difference from what we had growing up with to now. Obviously, I'm sure digital music has something to do with that. But as far as that compilation itself, um, so Matt and I had a mutual friend, uh, Eric, who Matt let borrow it. And then Eric let me borrow it. And, uh, you know, so it was very interesting. Uh, and then Greg stole it. No, and it yeah. Eventually Matt got it back. But uh, when I borrowed it, I made a, a recording on a blank tape and that way I could continue listening to it. That was that album. I had gotten that album after I had gotten my number five album, which I'll go into in here in just a second. But that was my exposure to Primus. That was my uh, exposure to Gravity Kills. You know, I love that song. There's a couple of other, as Matt said, there's a couple of other songs that don't really fit for this podcast. But Toadie's Possum Kingdom, man, that was that was yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Number five. My number five album, Corn by Corn. This album to me was not so much the turning point but if if there was any doubt that I was going to be a grow up into a metalhead this was it and I told you you know I was picked out as a little kid and as a teenager and stuff like that obviously playing football helped with that but at that time you know like I said I was a very angry kid and um so I I always wanted to find something newer heavier different and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. corn fit that bill yeah there was nothing like them at the time even rage against the machine was pretty tame compared to corn at the time but corn's album you know this album came out in 1994 and uh i had finally heard it in 1997 or somewhere around in there sometimes the dates get a little blurry but as i was listening to it uh I i had a friend in high school who brought in life as peachy and uh i was like okay this is cool but then he's like no 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 no, you don't want to listen to that you want to listen to this and he handed me corn and i'm Mm -hmm. like oh my god it was amazing you know jonathan davis could sell ice to an eskimo during a blizzard but you know his lyrics were so deep and so gut-wrenching you know you listen to it and you're just like oh my god i feel for this dude and clown is all about kid who gets picked on the entire time and shoots and ladders uh, is about his childhood and things like that but you know you don't get any deeper meaning or stories than you do with jonathan davis like if there was a storyteller that i absolutely loved in metal it's him and he's still doing it today but as far as the original corn album goes if not their best album it's definitely up there in the top two you had something, the reason why it's different is because you had seven string guitars, 
head and monkey both, you know, feeding off of each other, not necessarily playing the same thing. Then you had Fieldy, who, like, was – it wasn't slap bass. It was something different. Yeah. It was clicking and pounding and stuff like that. This was the album that started me in the whole wanting to play guitar thing because I wanted to play the dissonant sounds that these guys had. You know, I didn't want to play your traditional – I wasn't – I'm going to be honest. I wasn't – I'm still not that great at guitar, but – you know, I wanted to play something simple, something heavy and effective, more so than shredding solos and playing scales and doing all that fun stuff. Yeah. No, screw that. I want to play, like, rhythm. Uh, hence, I became a bass player later on. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where this album was kind of my exposure to all that new metal stuff that came out. New metal had a profound impact on me, and not being one of those uh how do i put it i wasn't raised in the thrash and glam era and metallica and all that who absolutely can't stand new metal you know obviously that was the beginning for me where i got into like i said new metal all the rap metal all the like that was my genre of choice Mm -hmm. and that album was the heaviest thing that i had listened to at that time and yeah it's it's just awesome yeah, and that opens up with Blind, and right. what a unique sound, right? The the effects on that guitar and, and yeah. everyone's instruments, really. But, yeah, and then Jonathan Davis's vocals, um, just, wow, an opening track. And I got the same reaction from that song in particular from the, the X Games album, but very unique sound, and the way they put it together was fantastic on, on that album. And your number five? So my number five is Hellbilly Deluxe by Rob Zombie. (laughs) (laughs) So released in 98. And at that time I was in, um, I guess I was in high school. Yeah, I would have been about 16. And really, uh, I'm not sure what what attracted me to it. You know, the album art has him on the on the front of it with the carved X in his forehead (laughs) and just the very colorful album art there. And, you know, probably it was, again, this stuff was on the radio when we were growing up. Right. And so you, you did hear living dead girl on, on the, on the radio, you heard Dragula on the radio. And those were really attractive songs to the ear, just the way that they sounded and, and the production nature and how, uh, Rob Zombie sang on them. So that's probably what got me to buy the album was hearing it on the radio, right? And saying, "Okay, I love this sound. I want to hear more." And I'm glad I did because my favorite song off that album is "Super Beast." Oh yeah, and just the tempo of the song, uh, the chorus again. Rob Zombie's vocals on that. Um, maybe what the introduction to. Party metal? I don't know how, how you want to classify that, but it's like yeah, I, I I think it's still at that time it's still you know new metal yeah. or at least it's classified that way now yeah, um, but yeah no it, you had that that simple energetic music I love Hellbilly Deluxe Rob Zombie still listen to it to this day like you said it, it, it want makes you want to party you know <laughs> it, it's almost kind of like the beginning of Andrew WK's album there yeah without specifically saying you know. Party music. Party music. 
Yeah, Wikipedia does uh, classify at least Rob Zombie in the genres of heavy metal, hard rock, industrial metal, shock rock, and new metal. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, a really cool sound at the time. Again, I still have Super Beast on my running tracks just because of the tempo and upbeat and, and getting the adrenaline going. And, uh, yeah, so my number five album, Rob Zombie's Hellbilly Deluxe. Nice. Number six. All right, so I'm going to go right into my number six. I'm a big believer in soundtracks. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been exposed to as much music as I had. You know, back in the 90s, there was the internet, but it wasn't as big as it is now. You know, you could find things on there, but like now you type in metal and all these bands come up. No, it was most metal bands weren't even on the internet at that point. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we, our exposure was through soundtracks and compilations and, you know, hand me down music from other people. So in this case, you know, there was a, uh, there was a soundtrack called Faust for the movie Faust or Faust or however you say that it was a horror movie based on, it was a really bad horror movie based on a comic book and Roadrunner records created the album. So you had Cradle of Filth, you had Fear Factory, you had Deicide, you had some of these other bands on there that, you know, you're like, oh my God, what is this? And needless to say, I heard Fear Factory's replica on there, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. What album is this from? And back then, you know, you didn't go on the internet to find that, and I went to FYE or Coconuts or whatever it happened to be at the time, and I was searching through the uh, Fear Factory albums, and... I found obsolete. I didn't find uh, demanufacturer like I wanted to, uh-huh. but I was like, okay, this is good enough. Let me try this. I found it in the end of my uh, like my senior year or the beginning of my senior year, ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere around in there. But yeah, this album is my all time favorite Fear Factory album. Mm-hmm. It's heavy. It's industrial. You know, it has that industrial vibe to it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, man versus machine. That sort of cool storyline that, you know, is the epitome of Fear Factory. The best part about Obsolete and Fear Factory is they were, for lack of a better term, they were the gateway drug into heavier music for me. Sure. If it wasn't for Fear Factory, I wouldn't have gotten into, I don't think I would have gotten into, you know, metalcore and some of those other heavier genres, the death metal that I like and, you know, black metal and stuff. But when you listen to Fear Factory's Obsolete, there's such an ambience to it. And songs like Edge Crusher, where it's kind of a comic book theme. Yeah, when I was a teen, teenager, I read a lot of comic books. also drew a lot. I was really good at it at one point. But yeah, this had this whole comic book vibe to me. And Edge Crusher is the main character who is trying to fight back against, you know, the the police or not just the police but you know the the machine that is running this whole thing and the very beginning of that song is due to the graphic nature of this program listener discretion is advised and <laughs> like it goes into the super heavy super fast song and i'm just like wow holy crap cool yeah this is awesome dude <laughs> um and then you know after that you get in you know you get into um resurrection which is a song that is almost an instrumental you know has some words in in it but it was very trippy very spacey had like this heavy section in the middle of it 
which I'm a, I'm a sucker for long epic songs, especially if they have heavy parts to it. But then also on that album was the song Cars, which is a cover of a Gary Newman track from the 80s. Yeah. I'm also a sucker for 80s pop music for some reason. And uh, nobody did it better than, nobody does those as far as covers go than uh, metal bands, especially new metal bands. So yeah, the, the version of Cars, like it didn't have any growls or anything in it. But, you know, it was just a cool, heavy, poppy song. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, they were the gateway drug into some of that heavier stuff that I listened to. I heard that Cars song before I heard the original. Uh, I didn't know it was a cover as well. Same with same with Paranoid. I can't say I'm a real fan of, of either song, but <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate the twist that Fear Factory did on that particular song. I also enjoyed that album. Um, I'm going to add one song to that, which would be Descent. Oh, and yeah. quick little story on, on that. One winter, I went to our, our mutual, the same mutual friend that you referenced before, and we were, uh, we were sledding that day. Mm-hmm. So we'd go with both of our sleds and, and go down. Of course, you got to walk back up. Uh, but we brought a, uh, a Walkman, <laughs> and we had recorded the metal meltdown show right. from i don't know the night before it had descent on it nice and um we kept listening to that song just over and over every time we'd go down and come back up we'd listen to descent yeah and we only had one pair of headphones those crappy headphones again yeah um and we broke it in half and we both took an earphone and held it up to our ear going up the hill that's awesome <laughs> fantastic Unity. song well really love that song and and uh i appreciate that album too as far as my my sixth album goes now um this album was released in 1999 so i was about 17 when this one came out and like many mid teenage year guys we you know we we have relationships and uh, we go through breakups and we we relate to more of the depressing songs we'll say and this particular band had the the heavy nature especially in this particular album early on in their their set of of releases uh, but it's dysfunction by stained and i really was attracted to the clean vocals the heavy vocals, the baritone guitar by Mike Mushak. Um, it just was uh, a good blend of music at the time. Somewhat depressing lyrics, I must say, although I'm not, I don't know, the crowd that's going to listen to this, I'm preaching to the choir, is, oh yeah, Aaron Lewis and a depressing song? Okay, tell me something that I wouldn't <laughs> expect. But yeah, so that's when I started, I guess, really relating to the, the words of, mm-hmm. of metal music. Historically, and even even now, I'm not necessarily one to pay too much attention about what they're actually saying. And we'll get more into that in, in future episodes, right? Lyrics versus music and all that stuff. But but yeah, uh, Aaron Lewis's clean vocals at the time. Uh, it's, um, you know, songs like Suffocate, Just Go, and Home. Home was on the, another one that was played on on uh, the radio, MTV. And, oh, yeah, and, Headbangers um, Ball back in the Headbangers day. Headbangers Ball, exactly. Uh, Mud Shovel, yep. while, while not in my top three songs that I'd have on our Spotify playlist, but that was probably the most popular and played song from that album at the time. Yeah, and probably their third biggest track of 
all time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Home, Just Go, Suffocate, there's there's plenty of others on there that are a unique blend of the distorted guitars again and uh, and Aaron Lewis's uh, clean and, and dirty growls there. Love that album. Still play it a lot to this day. Stained Dysfunction. Nice. Back in the day when, you know, new metal was all the rage, that's what I was, you know, listening to as well. Stained and Spine Shank. And the, the beautiful thing about Stained was the lyrics were relatable to most kids. And that's what's great about new metal in general. That wasn't as relate, you know, the, the lyrics in new metal and that era of heavy metal were more relatable than like the you know era of iron maiden or metallica and stuff like that metallica later later on in the years with load and reload yeah maybe they got a little bit more relatable but sure there were there were stories about i hate my parents (laughs) we didn't actually hate our parents so we didn't relate to that but you know like i'm angry at you you know and this is why that sort of thing so aaron lewis Good, good on you for uh, helping teenagers everywhere. And you know, any, any, um, even if you, even if you don't haven't experienced what the singer's singing about, but you can relate to it, that's powerful by the uh, the vocalist and the lyricist. Just that fact that you're able to, wow, I could fit in your shoes, and I know, what, I understand what you're going through. Yeah, even though I never went through it myself. Right. Yeah, it could be. You know, their inspiration was something totally different, but the way that they conveyed the song and their lyrics right. and uh, just so happened to apply to your particular situation. Number seven. So, moving on to number seven. Portrait of the Goddess by Bleeding Through. Me and a few army buddies had decided that we wanted to go to Hellfest, which was playing in 2002 up at the New York State Fairgrounds. Now, mind you, we were in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky at the time, and they were like, oh, man, I wish we could go to this concert, but I don't know how to do it. And um, we could get a hotel, that sort of thing. I was like, my parents live like an hour south of Syracuse, so why don't we go there? And then uh, we'll hang out there. We'll go to the three-day festival, you know, and each night we'll come home and stay at my parents' house. Talk to my parents. They loved the idea. They wanted to see me and all this other stuff. So it worked out. So we drove up. I skipped a day of the festival so that I could stay with my parents. And then I went up the second day. And the second day, the first band that I remember seeing uh, that I can recollect was uh, Bleeding Through. And they had promotional CDs, you know, this little EP called uh, Portrait of the Goddess. And I loved their sound. It was hardcore, but it had like melody from a keyboard and there was a little bit of clean vocals in there outside of the, uh, you know, the, the growling and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. There was some solos added in with the, uh, you know, the breakdowns and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, what is this? And a few songs off of that album that were really good for me were uh the first one was savior saint salvation this might have might as well have been an instrumental but i told you that i like long uh epic songs and this is one of them it is six minutes and 33 seconds 
of you know there's a nice little piano intro and you're like oh okay it's gonna lull you to sleep and then all of a sudden you know this nice little chord comes in and then all of a sudden that blurs out and goes into a nice chuggy riff and super fast super super fun to play and um the lyrics may not have been as relatable as some of the other bands but yeah it was just incredible this is one of my favorite songs of all time save your saint salvation you'll find it on the uh spotify playlist also other songs of note on that album are ill part two rise our enemies just another pretty face you know um i can't go into you know the 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 lyrical aspect of this band you know but they are one of those that i i really love and i still listen to to this day but this album is one of those albums that got me into god forbid and kill switch engage and all that remains and trivium and lamb of god if it wasn't for these guys i don't think i would be listening to those albums later on in life you know just a few short years later uh same thing with like chimera and all those metalcore or uh, new wave of american heavy metal however however you want to put it this band bleeding through is definitely one of my favorites and it's because of portrait of the goddess yeah, well, they were at one of the Ozfests that we went to, right? Right, uh, the 2006, I believe. Okay, yeah. And at that point, they had just come out with their third album, and they were starting, not toning down a little bit, but they had a little bit more clean vocals into it and, you know, better song structure, and, you know, uh-huh. it wasn't just, like, riff riff A, riff B, riff C, riff D, stuff like that. It was, like I said, great song structure. And Yeah, I remember those they're one of them that kind of went through a transition in the right. first uh, few albums, right? Yeah. They were yeah. finding their place. They they were. <laughs> and to the metal community, you know, that puts that puts some folks off, right? Like, yeah. oh, it's not sticking to your roots. Gosh, yeah, you sell it out. But, you know, hey, it happens. We we all grow as people, grow as bands, and uh some some folks find the same sound stale or maybe something happened in their rotation with the the members or whatnot. Who, who knows? But I do remember that um, watching that on uh, Ozfest and knowing at least the sound they had at the time was different from the first albums. Right. So cool. Um, I'll go into my seventh album, and this is one album that I put on here that may be similar to your Paranoid by Black Sabbath, mm. right? Getting into uh, something that wasn't released just then. You know, it wasn't new at the time, but it was new to me at the time. And wow, am I glad that I came across this band. So at this point in my life, I was um, in college. One particular uh, weekend, I went and saw a friend who was also uh, at a different college and uh, spent some time with him and and his roommate in in their dorm listening to to music. And my friend's roommate put on this one album, said, you got to, you know, you got to listen to these guys. I love these guys. Oh, okay, cool. Who, who, Who is this? And he put on Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden. And I basically didn't let them switch the album until I heard every song on that album because um, at that time I had started playing guitar, really into guitar players, and I think they have they have three. Yeah. <laughs> the, the song that, that first stuck out to me was Infinite Dreams and uh, just the playing... Not you know it's not like the upbeat and destroying guitars and blah 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 Bruce Dickinson kind of screaming and 
and uh, Steve Harris going off on the bass, of course. But I don't know, just the song nature of, of Infinite Dreams really drew me to it. They go into Can I Play With Madness and The Evil That Men Do. Great classic songs that are played heavily on classic rock radio <laughs> now. Yeah. And then uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. It's a song that takes you on a journey and you are engaged all nine minutes and 54 seconds <laughs> of that song. And uh, I remember listening to that song with that same friend, his dad, just sitting in his living room, listening to Iron Maiden and hearing this song, you know, listening to the quiet part later on in the song. There's a transition and uh, there's some and there's an echo of that and and then some ambient sounds. And I just remember being like. It's so evil, it's heavenly. You know, and I thought that was so like, wow, that's a that's an awesome statement. But it really was. It yeah. had impression me at the time. It's like, wow, this is it's heavy, it's it's has this ambiance to it, and it's like, wow, this is really cool. And uh so that album was released in nineteen eighty eight. Certainly they had a large library before that. Right. right. Iron Maiden is one of the most extensive libraries in Prolific. middle history. But that got me into looking at all their other stuff, right. you know, looking at other bands like Black Sabbath, looking into Judas Priest or or Dio, you know, um, those classic a, metal bands. Exactly. Appreciating the, the roots. Yeah. Really. You know, where did this stuff come from? And uh, we're only uh, able to do better things by standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. Absolutely. And what giants Iron Maiden <laughs> was and uh, and still is. Uh, right. And, you know, remember that, kids. You know, it's all about your roots. Remember that. <laughs> and so thankful I got to see them at OzFest that one year with, with Black Sabbath as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That was fantastic to see them and uh, see Bruce running around on stage. So, so much energy. And then seeing the epic solos of all the guitars that they have on stage <laughs> and, and Eddie. Oh yeah, you know, and, and the best part about that that show in particular, Vossfest that you're talking about, we got to see Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden and a bunch of the brand new bands. So you got to see, you know, the the old with the new. It, it was great. Both of us got to knock a bunch of bands off of our bucket list. You know, uh, as I like to refer to it as the I need to see them before I die or they do, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath were right at the top of that for me. Granted, my introduction to Iron Maiden was The Number of the Beast, obviously the most famous Iron Maiden album ever. And I really didn't get into much more Iron Maiden until after uh, I listened to Cowboys from Hell. Because at that point in time, I thought it was too, uh, how do I put it? It was too complicated to listen to. I needed my brain to mature a little bit before I was like, okay, I get it now. You know, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the lyrics, the storytelling, the guitar work, you know, the, the musicianship. Yeah. Iron Maiden, man, I'll tell you. Number eight. So number eight on my list is an album that I found, again, when I was in the military. One of my one of my roommates when I was in Fort hood after we got back from, uh, from Iraq, he's like, you got to listen to this band because at this time, you know, I was listening to all the new metal and all the metal core that was starting to come out. And, and, uh, he's like, you got to listen to this band. They're phenomenal. So he was like, 
you got to listen to Acid Bath when the kite string pops. This is probably my second or third favorite album of all time. This gave me the appreciation for, you know, the the dirty vocals, the dirty clean vocals. You know, you had Dax Riggs doing the clean vocals. You had uh, Sammy Duet who went on to do Goat Whore playing guitar and doing the high-pitched black metal vocals. And it's considered sludge metal. I don't know if I would huh. put that in the same genre because it's a little bit more accessible than most of the, most other sludge metal. If you're a sludge metal fan, I apologize if I offended you. But, yeah, uh, you had songs like you had violent lyrics on this like it it's all poetry and you know just weird like horror movie <laughs> lyrics i don't know how else to explain <laughs> it but uh the song Jezebel is just a an acid trip of uh you know uh, your this guy and his girlfriend and you had the the heaviness of Jezebel and then you go to the next song and it's Scream of the Butterfly, which was named after uh, a line from, I believe it's The End by The Doors. I can't remember which song it was, mm-hmm. but the name Scream of the Butterfly, this song is nice and mellow and slow. It's not acoustic, but it's it's a great slow song with really dark lyrics and... Um, at this point in my life, you know, I was watching a lot of horror movies and, you know, obviously I'm already into metal and listening to that sort of stuff. So the, the, the brooding sound of these songs just resonated with me. And then, you know, uh, just a couple of other, uh, keys to this album were Dr. Seuss is dead, dope fiend, God machine, what color is death, the acoustic, uh, bones of baby dolls, you know, like I said, real dark stuff. And Dax Riggs was, one of those guys who, um, yeah, his his lyric writing was something else. It, I didn't relate to the music, but I was like, wow, this is so cool, you know. It was made in 1994. It was a part of that whole New Orleans, uh, that the NOLA scene, as it's called, uh, with Down and I Hate God and Crowbar and all those guys. It's a great album. If you get a chance to go listen to it, there's a lot of resonation with the guitars. So, you know, like you hear some feedback from the speakers and stuff like that. So it's not you, it's the CD. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I admit, I don't know that album uh, much at all. I know I've heard uh, Jezebel from, from you playing it. You know, it's a very unique sound. Yeah. And I can see why it would be called the sludge, sludge metal there. <laughs> Um, and I agree with your synopsis of that. Maybe not; it doesn't fit so much, but, but yeah, very interesting sound, uh, especially on the Je- Jezebel song. So check that out. Check that out on our uh, on our Spotify playlist, and I will be sure to check out more of the album so I can I can uh, hear more of the sound. So their bass player had passed away after their second album, and um, you know while their bass player wasn't prominent in the music. Um, it's one of the albums that made me want to be like, you know what? I should be a bass player. Hmm. And, uh, because it again, had that simple, the, the simple melodies, the simple rhythms and stuff like that. But it had a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of, uh, flair to the bass sound kind of like trying to think maybe Jason Newstead and era of Metallica, uh, like load and reload era. 
But uh, he, the bass player for Acid Bath, passed away after their second album, and they disbanded and decided that they were never going to come back together. And you don't hear that a lot when it comes to the bass player. Most bands are just like, well, it's just the bass player. We're going to replace him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they stuck to their guns, and they haven't been back together since and haven't even done a reunion show. All right, so similar to your comment on going to the festivals and seeing all these different types of bands, right? It was the best. It really was the best to go to a festival and see 12, 15 bands. I remember one, we got there early in the opening band, at 10 in the morning, 9 in oh, the yeah. morning, something like that. Block Dahlia you murder. Yeah. <laughs> If you wanted to wake up, that was the way to do it. Yeah, and you know, we were we specifically got there early to get our money's worth for one, but right. we did all want to see that band. There was probably maybe 40 of us there in the whole festival, you know, second stage, real small stuff like that. It was it was great. Yeah. And they put on a great show. They did. Going to a festival, seeing lots of bands, um, at the time Ozfest was was the big one for us and we went to multiple Uh, years of that and i remember seeing this band and being very intrigued of course by their riffs by the clean vocals by the harsh growls during the verse clean vocals during the chorus and of course the guitar playing this album was released in 2004 it's the end of heartache by kill switch engage howard on vocals you got adam um at this time, I don't remember their their last names, but uh, Adam's last name is hard to pronounce anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like Duckowitz or something. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember him coming out, and he had this cape on and these like cut jeans into shorts with Short like the shorts. pockets hanging out, and just him dancing around on stage and doing these crazy false harmonics in this in this awesome distorted guitar riffs. And then um, just the soaring choruses uh, of these songs, especially on this particular album. Rose of Sharon, The End of Heartache uh, itself, and uh, my third choice, Hope Is. And uh, my introduction to the metalcore scene, very popular at the time, and many bands on on the Ozfest bill were were of the metalcore genre. But this was also the beginning of the the Massachusetts metal scene, right? right? And that how many awesome bands came out of that scene? I, I don't know, but off the top of my head, you know, I can say, all that remains. You have Shadows Fall. Yep. You have Unearth. You have Diecast. Yeah. All at the same time. Yeah. All essentially very similar genre right but yeah that exposed me to much more of the metal core scene and uh any of those massachusetts metal bands i could have probably been on this list oh yeah because of how influential and just that was one of those albums that uh i thought about for my list and uh it was definitely next on the list had it been had i not gone the route that i did Howard on vocals, you know, you had that soulful, clean singing, and then the harsh growls, and then you had Adam on guitar, and the beauty of it was that the songs were very well written, and plus, you know, we had also gotten into the uh, melodic death metal scene around that same time, so especially the Massachusetts metal scene was highly influenced by that melodic death metal scene of In Flames, and 
Soyor uh, at the gates and whatnot. Dark Tranquility, you know, great bands. Number nine. And then speaking of the melodic death metal speaking scene, of. right? My number nine album is Stabbing the Drama by Soilwork. While not my favorite album by Soilwork, it was my exposure to them. Mm-hmm. Soilwork, you know, you guys will learn over episodes that Soilwork is by far my favorite band of all time. And a lot of it has to do with uh, Bjorn Schrid and his amazing vocals. He's not the greatest screamer, but he's probably one of the best singers. Their albums are very similar to each other in style, whereas, you know, a lot of bands will kind of go like off the rails and do something weird where Soilwork does pretty much the same thing, but enough to keep it different. And uh, Stabbing the Drama is one of those albums that I, I was exposed to it on a an album of collection of songs, and it was called uh, Metal for the Masses. Mm-hmm. And it was put out by Century Media Music. They also, you know, were affiliates of uh, um, Nuclear Blast and all that sort of stuff. And they had Dark Tranquility on there. They had In Flames. They had Soilwork and stuff like that. But Soilwork really stood out to me because they had that similarity to Metalcore and that scene and that sound that I was listening to at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously mixed with Bjornstrid's vocals. And like I said, that dude is phenomenal. Just a couple of tracks that really stood out. Obviously, Stabbing the Drama, the title track, Nerve is a really good one. It took me a little while to to warm up to Nerve because, you know, Nerve was played on Headbangers Ball and, you know, some of those other programs. I was like, no, I can't like the popular song. Yeah, I have the to, single. Right. I have right. to stay away from that. But then there was a song called Observation Slave, which had a very quiet verse. And then got a really loud chorus. I know that's, you know, uh, standard for most metal songs. But in this uh, instance, like, there was maybe a bass line underneath or just singing. And it was pretty good. You know, that goes to show you that this guy believed in his voice and, you know, to be front and center over without anything else playing. Another song is Blind Eye Halo. So it's funny that Matt brought up Kill Switch Engage and, you know, I'm bringing up Soya Work in this round uh, because... It was either the next night or a couple nights later at a local bar. We saw Kill Switch and Soya work together. And, you know, like it was just as amazing as it was at that fest at Ozfest. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, Soya work wound up becoming my favorite band. Yeah, I love all their albums. And hopefully, maybe we'll do an episode on, you know, the different subgenres. Who knows? Like the Kill Switch Engage. Um, album that would have been on your list certainly stabbing the drama would have been on mine too it was a very close because i love that album too right (laughs) (laughs) i still run to that album a lot too in fact many races i have simply just listened to that album alone just played it and set it and go and um so along those same lines i'll segue into my number nine album and it was uh, as well the the melodic death metal will say so this this album soundtrack to your escape by in flames i guess they were part of that scene right they were one of the innovators of that scene and again uh maybe a band in that particular uh point in their life and and the library of albums not as heavy as their past ones right but much more of the electronic use in there maybe more melody Mm -hmm. and the singing will say maybe some more of their clean vocals in there 
I end up buying this album after seeing, again, one of the songs on Headbangers Ball, something like that. Um, I think it was The Quiet Place. I want to say that's the one that they uh, released for a music video for and it was played on MTV or MTV2, one of those at the time, that actually still played music videos. <laughs> so yeah, myself and another friend were, were weightlifting and... This was my particular album that I would I would listen to on my way to the the gym while I was in the gym after the gym <laughs> and I just loved that sound again the the riffs a little bit different sort of guitar sound some of the crushing production of the of the guitar riffs on some of the songs like like you better dead what a great song title right but right. but really awesome uh songs when we talk about guitar riffs and then um, My Sweet Shadow is my third choice for our Spotify playlist here. But the whole album, again, is a very neat collection of songs and representing the uh, Gothenburg sound at right. the time, right? And got me into soil work, yeah. if it wasn't you, you know, <laughs> in at that time anyway. But then also into Dark Tranquility and some of the others that you mentioned, too, in that scene. And, you know, what's really good about, especially Soil Work and In Flames, and they, they were different from their counterparts where they, you know, it wasn't all like Dark Tranquility was exactly that. They were dark and depressed and, you know, they didn't, yeah. they said it best in an interview. They didn't want to have any happiness in their songs, which is great. But Soil Work and In Flames kind of went the other way. And... um yeah, soundtrack to your escape is definitely one of those ones that you know it was on the extended list of uh, influential albums, but didn't make the ultimately make the top ten for me. Number ten. Wow, we're coming to the end of our influential s- album number ten. Right, we're coming to the end here. Wow. All right, so um, my number ten is uh, kind of a a, a weird one. Um, by this point, I was. Listening to death metal and, you know, black metal up to this point. Then we were on MySpace, right? And uh, they allowed you to have these uh, songs as your profile song. It was it was amazing. MySpace needs to come back. A if great idea. Listen, right. If anybody's listening, Facebook, let us put songs on our profile. Uh, anyway, um, so the, the band that I chose for this one was uh, Job for a Cowboy. And uh, their EP, Doom. Now, (laughs) it's more a song than the album. The album is great. But the one song, uh, Entombment of the Machine, is probably the one thing that'll scare the hell out of anybody who happens to be listening and is not ready for it. There's a (laughs) high-pitched, blood-curdling scream like 27 seconds in. That you know you could use as an alarm clock and wake up. I mean, you'll your heart will be racing a thousand miles an hour. But you know it, it, it's great. And you know this was my introduction to the uh, the deathcore scene along the same lines as um, Whitechapel and All Show Parish and Animosity. At this point, I was looking always looking for something heavier, something faster, something more aggressive, more. Um, you know, extreme than what I was into at the time. And, uh, like I thought that there was nothing heavier at this point job for a cowboy, you know, the, the fact that they did, you know, all the breakdowns and stuff like that, the, as we like to call the pig squeal vocals, Yeah, you know, it was, it, it was just amazing. Um, I can't say enough about this album. Doom will always stick out to me as the gateway into deathcore. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was a hit. That song, right, with us, yeah. with, the, with the screen, absolutely. And certainly for me, that was the first time I had heard any sort of vocals like that. You know, like I, of course, I can't do it, but. <laughs> But yeah, that really stuck out. Like job for a cowboy, okay. And f- I guess one of the first bands to get their success from from social media, right? Right. And uh, props to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the way to do it. That's uh, that's that's a um, if you put in the time and the effort, and uh, one of the first ones to actually do it like that. Right. Uh, really cool. Okay, so I'll transition into my last album as well. And we've we've talked about this in the past about nothing sucks you up more than than this or that. And for me, it's this particular album and and one song in general that I played uh, every time before uh, I played a rugby match and in college. And the song was the faded line. I think it's several minutes. um, But wow, that really gets me pumped up, especially at the time to, to go out and play rugby. But it's from the album Ashes of the Wake by Lamb of God, released in 2004. I think I heard Omerta first, or I heard Now You Have Something to Die For, or yeah. you know, one of those. They they released the DVD as well, right, that they were Was playing. Was it Philadelphia uh, or something? Yeah, 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 that's right. But Omerta has that really interesting <laughs> in- spoken intro, right, yeah. and then the really neat riff, too. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. And uh, but yeah, so that another very interesting vocalist there, Randy, of course, and um, the guitar riffs pull you right in drumming as well. Just fantastic all around. And I think for me, that album really said that, uh, you know, nothing before this, except for maybe the the down album to some extent was really heavy, like considered heavy. Right. You know, and then here we come, this American heavy metal. You know, I think that was on a couple of their shirts that they would sell at concerts. Right. Uh, but Lamb of God was the one that really said, okay, I, I, I can uh, like heavier stuff. And um, they then opened me up to all sorts of subgenres. So Ashes of the Wake, Lamb of God, my number 10 influential album. This isn't a just a uh, concrete list of the influential albums. There are many, many, many more. This was not easy. No. Um, you know, there are so many other albums that I could have put on there that I had to begrudgingly take off because A, wasn't a cool story to go along with it, and B, they weren't as influential as I thought. Or the album wasn't completely solid, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a couple of songs that influenced me as opposed to the entire album. <laughs> But yeah, this was really tough, and we sat down and painstakingly came up with this. And then, uh, uh, but if I had to pick a uh, top influential album, it would have been The Ride to Lightning, just because of what it did for me. That was the turning point. Honorable mentions. So. In that aspect, we had some honorable mentions that we would like to mention. We're not going to go too deep into it. We're just going to mention them. And um, yeah. like I said, uh, End of Heartache would have been on there. Uh, Iowa Slipknot, Guitar Gangsters by Volbeat, and Sound of Perseverance by Death. Those would have been my five honorable mentions. Nice. Yeah, I agree. It was not <laughs> not 
easy to do this. Certainly a process of down selection as you're going through the list of think you're going through your albums, right? You're going through your, your CDs and like, was this one? This one's good. I love these two songs, but is it really influential? And why, you know, you start thinking more about this, the influence, the influential part of this, not just a favorite albums sort of list. But right. So if I'm going to, I don't know if I've picked out five necessarily, but uh, I'll just list uh, a handful here. Flaw, Through the Eyes, uh, Il Nino, Revolution, Revolution, Volbeat, Guitar Gangsters, and Cadillac Blood is, is on my list as well. Gojira, From Mars to Sirius, and Rivers of Nile, Where Owls Know My Name. So yeah, there you have it, our top ten influential albums right nice. from from when we were youngins until <laughs> some point in our lives right right and so as distortion dads podcast we we realize that heavy music has made an impression on our lives right of course so we're interested to in seeing how heavy metal or heavy music hard rock whatever it be maybe has an impression on our children's lives right right and, you know, it's one of those things where uh, when Matt and I were getting into heavy music and metal and all that sort of stuff, we had to go out and seek all that music. So all these albums that we have, we either were given or we sought out ourselves. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, like we're we're metal, we're metal dads, we're distortion dads. We need to we are passing this on to our children. And the thing that we have to question is, do we start off in the same spot that we do? You know, the. uh you know, this was the stepping stone into metal and then progressively move up from there. Or do we play whatever we feel like? And, you know, kind of uh, I, I feel like we just play what we feel, you know, give it to our daughters, you know, let them process the information. And as they get older and they show start so, showing uh, interest in, you know, uh, things of that nature, then we can start giving them the history and the behind the scenes and, you know, telling telling them the same stories. Like I have a two year old daughter. She's not going to relate to anything. Yeah. Any of these, you know, she's sure. just going to, you know, bang her head. If she like bangs she her head, if she dances around, if she stays in the room when you play this song, right. you know. Yeah. Well, my daughter is certainly a little bit older, so I, I'll play it. And playing a song as I go to pick her up from daycare after school, and I'll continue to play the song when she's in the car and we're going back home, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I ask her, "Oh, what did you, what did you think of that song?" You know, right? And uh, some of them she enjoys, some of them she doesn't, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. It's really it's it's her unique experience, and uh, it's very interesting to to go through that as she as she grows up and certainly gets exposed to a lot of different styles of of music. So. Really cool. Yeah, and, you know, I believe it's all about the exposure. Let them listen to uh, how much they can take, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that'll be our job to expose them to as much as uh, they can handle. The Wheel of Subgenres. As you guys have heard on this episode, we talked about why we decided to do a podcast, why we wanted to pass on our love of heavy metal and hard music to uh, our kids, to you. We just really wanted to talk about it, you know? And uh, we also went through our top 10 influential albums. So what can we uh, take from from today? And basically the way I look at it is always know your roots, number one. Know where you've come from. Never forget that. The other thing is you got to start somewhere and then build upon that. You don't have to try and, you know, dive deep 
into death metal and black metal start start somewhere softer you know sure it's, it's okay I, I think there is a <laughs> a tendency for all genres all subgenres of of metal to be lumped into just heavy metal right, right. and we talked about this a little bit this is this exposure right there's a lot out there <laughs> and uh, some of it's hard to find. It's a lot easier to find now with the internet, right? There's a lot of things that you might not know you like unless you're exposed to it, right? right? And so we thought this would be a fun way to not only expose us to all sorts of different metal subgenres, and there are plenty if you go on the internet and search, <laughs> but really to expose us to new music and have us share that with our children and, and our spouses get their thoughts share their reactions with you maybe maybe they have a funny reaction um, but we have now created this idea of a, a wheel of subgenres that's kind of like a a big wheel of fortune wheel right yeah. and we have we have 12 uh subgenres listed on there at first you know each week we spin the wheel we have a uh, subgenre that we have to do for the next episode and then uh, we replace that with another subgenre. So where are the list of subgenres coming from? We went through Metal Injection, and we went to a few expert sites. I hate using that term, but for lack of a better term, we used expert sites. And uh, they gave us what are considered to be the prime subgenres of metal. There are literally hundreds of subgenres of metal, and they are based on different songs and different bands and this, that, and the other thing. But we compiled those lists of, you know, the 60 greatest subgenres, the 40 greatest subgenres, and we made our own list. You may not hear your favorite subgenre, but give it time. You will get there. We chose all of them by random for the first spin. So I think the idea would be we, we spin during our show like we like we will on this first episode we'll spin we will get one subgenre that both of us will kind of talk a little bit about our current exposure to the subgenre do we know any band do we like any bands what have we heard about this do we have friends that like bands in this <laughs> genre right and give our initial impressions certainly given our initial impressions of what we think our children and our spouses reactions are going to be to some of the songs that we find in this subgenre, but then to do a little bit of homework afterwards, right? right? And then come back the next episode and talk about it. Maybe talk about one one particular band that we maybe enjoyed or a song that we enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the vision to some degree. Do we have the list of it right now? So some of the subgenres that we narrowed it down to are hard rock, traditional heavy metal, doom metal, funeral doom, death metal, melodic death metal, black metal, sludge metal, Christian metal, metalcore, deathcore, folk metal, gore grind, hair metal, new metal, progressive metal, and the list goes on and on. We have 44 genres of metal on our current list. And so what are the ones that we have on our wheel of subgenres today? And we'll uh, post a, an image or a video of the wheel of subgenres on our Instagrams. So check it out there to see what we're talking about. So to start off today, we got doom metal, death metal, melodic death metal, black metal, sludge metal, metalcore, deathcore, folk metal, gore grind, hair metal, new metal, progressive metal. Let us know what you think about the subgenre that we get. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you Who want... should we listen to? Right. 
give us some give us some bands to listen to some songs obviously i'm a big person about uh albums give me an album to listen to how much you want to bet our first subgenre was going to be gore grind <laughs> that would be i i put <laughs> i'd put some good money on that because it's something that we probably don't like in the first place i don't i don't know much about it <laughs> i must say but uh i'm interested to be exposed to that subgenre and and everything that comes with it as I tell people, I don't like every I don't like every band in metal, but I like most of them. And uh, you might find one that you like the uh, diamond in the rough, if you if you will. Like when it comes to sludge metal, I've listened to quite a bit of sludge metal, and I really like Acid Bath, but I really don't like the rest of them. <laughs> um, but you know, we'll 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 go down that road when we get there. All right, so here we go. We're going to spin the first spin of the Wheel of Subgenres. And melodic death metal. Wow. We, we don't know anything about this <laughs> subgenre. Uh, yeah, how appropriate since we, we both had albums on, the, on our top ten influential list. We're relatively familiar. Right. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if there are some maybe newer bands that have, are coming out and defining the subgenre. Right. Maybe some, uh, you know, some uh, more obscure bands. Uh, see what bands actually constitute the subgenre. Obviously, you have your Dark Tranquilities, your In Flames, your Soy Work. Uh, you have Carcass a little bit, I think, uh, in their later years. So, yeah, I think... Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I think we need to uh, go down the pike a little bit and try and find things that will stretch our uh, our knowledge of this subgenre, considering we know so much about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna read uh, the quick snippet from Wikipedia. I think that's that's useful to get us a little bit introduced to a subgenre. Not that we necessarily need it for for this one, but uh, from Wikipedia, melodic death metal. Also referred to as mellow death, is a subgenre of death metal that employs highly melodic guitar riffs, often borrowing from traditional heavy metal. The style originated and developed in Sweden, pioneered by At the Gates, Dark Tranquility, and In Flames, already mentioned here right. in this episode, and the United Kingdom, pioneered by Carcass around 1993. Congrats on that uh, tidbit there, Greg. The Swedish death metal scene did much to popularize the style, soon centering in the Gothenburg metal scene. So, yeah, I think we captured all of that in, right. in our little uh, spiel. But, yeah, plenty, I'm sure, plenty to unearth there. Yeah, I can't wait. Like I said, I think uh, us digging a little deeper will uh, expand our horizons, and I think that'll be the best way, best route to the, or best way to do this. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I agree. I know my daughter has has heard some of this. Certainly, the Inflames, the Soil Work albums that that we both mentioned, and um, I know she didn't hate it. <laughs> well, that's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So that's a wrap on this episode. Uh, please tune in next time. Once again, I'm Matt, and I'm Greg, and we're the Distortion Dads. Woo!